The following is a production of Natural Bliss Podcast for a better quality of life. Hi, welcome to It's Your Life. I'm your host, Joyce Wheeler, and today is January 30th, 2019. Today I have with me Denicia Hilton. She saves uteruses and makes babies as a holistic period and fertility strategist. Also a doctor of oriental medicine, she is certified in oriental reproductive medicine, also known as ABORM. She is known for her multifaceted perspective of the menstrual cycle that shatters the belief of what has been accepted as normal for what is healthy. From seeing patients at her acupuncture and oriental medicine clinic, holistic reproductive health, to her fertility effect program. Flowversations, live experience workshops, and the Sisters of Flow podcast. Denicia inspires women seeking holistic methods to support their quest, not only for period relief or positive pregnancy tests, but for a more aligned and empowered whole self. While women have been searching all over the world for answers to her questions about her period and fertility health, Denisa helps her see that the answers have been within her the whole time. She just needs to know how to access and interpret it. For this new perspective, Denisa leads women to shift their relationship with their cycle to one of self-guided direction, detecting cues, and listening to messages of what her mind, body, and spirit are saying she needs. Welcome to the show, Denisia. Hi, thank you for having me. It's nice to have you here, and I'm thrilled about the topic we're talking about because we're going to be talking about millenniums and fertility. Yes. <laughs> so how did, how did you get started in this? Oh, so let's see here. I got started in this field um, where actually I was talking to a friend of mine, we were just catching up. Um, she's one of my sorority sisters. And I was telling her, I said, you know, I'm really feeling like I need to go back like into studying medicine. That was my original plan um, and everything. And she's like, well, if there was another way that you could treat patients, would you be interested? And I said, well, I don't know what you mean. And that's when she introduced me to acupuncture and oriental medicine itself. I fell in love with just the way that within the medicine, you see the whole person right. and, you know, you're treating the whole person. Um, our teachers would tell us Chinese medicine is in the life. And I loved it. I gravitated towards it. In school, you're like, I just, I really need to pass and everything. Right. And so sometimes it doesn't really sink in just the, the magnitude of the nuggets of wisdom. Um, and so periodically I'll, I might whip out a book and, um, I'll have a, it'll trigger a memory and it just makes me fall in love with the medicine all over again. It's, it, to me, it's, I just feel like it's people leave to be feeling like they're more fulfilled and like they're heard, which is ultimately why I wanted to go into medicine anyway. I just didn't know that this was a path that I could take. Right. And then you kind of like fast forward into me getting into this particular niche, you kind of just fell in front of me and I liked it. And it was really because I was, uh, we were studying gynecology in our pathophysiology class. And I was just mind blown at, at, by 
oh, what do you mean? Like, we're not supposed to be cramping or there's not supposed to be clots or there's not supposed to be spotting. Like, what are you talking about? And that's when I, that's really when I learned and now has become my, like one of my mottos is that like, we're out here and there's a big difference between what is a healthy menstrual cycle versus what we as society have accepted as normal. Right. And I got a chance to experience that myself because I was getting acupuncture and taking herbs on a regular basis while I was in school. And I was oblivious, like completely oblivious to how my cycle had been changing while in school and then actually changing for the better. Like it wasn't disrupting my life. And it it just just kind of happened. And, and then once I became aware of it, I'm going, what? It was because of this. Are you kidding? Um, so I like took that on um, after graduation and just saying, you know what, there's, I know I'm not the only one and I really want to take, really take it by the reins and really focus on women's health and especially increasing awareness and education and letting her know like there are things that you can really, really learn from your cycle, like your cycles, your, your messenger, it tells you what's going on. Um, throughout you get the whole cycle itself, so meaning month to month, and you know just have to having to learn how to pay attention to it versus com- continuously placing band aids on what might be a problem with your cycle. And there's so many women who have issues with cycles, and they just think it's normal. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like it, I mean, when you really think about normal, right? Like just the definition of it and the connotation of it, mm-hmm. it really just means that especially in the medical community and when you're interpreting results um, of labs and whatnot, what's really normal is because they're saying out of this many thousands of people that have taken this test or that have made this report, this is the percentage that happens. So we're going to say that that's normal. Right. But, you know, like that's probability, that's statistics as well. Like this is what's normal, just meaning that it happens this frequently. That in and of itself should be alarming. Like, you know, like right. that's not not healthy. And so to really get, you know, it just takes learning about it and it takes having to like really, you know, find these avenues such as your podcast to really raise that awareness and just say, hey, you are experiencing these. And and yes, we're going to accept and we're aware that this is what you're experiencing as far as symptoms. But really, what is that symptom trying to tell you about your body and the state of your health? Right. And that's not just with our menstrual cycle. That's any issue that we're dealing with, whether it be physical or mental, is our body speaking to us and we need to listen to it. So what you're doing is you're helping you're helping women to discover what their bodies are saying to them. Yes. And that's, you know, I say you brought up a really good point, too. So I mentioned I I focus mostly, you know, on the menstrual cycle and I but that's more of like my my baby, like my my inner my beginning step, I'll say Um, that's the intro step Um, just to call her attention as far as, okay, it's about the menstrual cycle. However, when we start talking, like even on one to one or as I'm going into like group programs or even talking on the podcast, you'll actually learn that I'm actually talking about other body systems. So whether it's your digestion, whether it's urinary, whether it's mental, emotional, um, all of that plays a role. So I just use the cycle 
as a way to call her attention. And then I start to weave in and incorporate all the other aspects that do play a role as well. But that was a really great point that you pointed out because yeah, you constipation can tell you some things, right, right. about yourself. And or anxiety can tell you some things about yourself. It's just a matter of okay, let's put it all together with the other systems and let's see what it's telling you. Well, I think that's the great thing about Chinese medicine is like you said, when we first uh, started that Chinese medicine looks at the whole body. And that, yes. that's what you have to do. And, we, you know, like you're saying, we can't just isolate one thing and be like, okay, well, you're dealing with this. So let's just focus on that. It's got to be yeah. what else is going on in the body that's contributing to this. Yes. Yeah. And it's, uh, like you know, people say, and that's why I use the term holistic. Like when, you know, some in some circles, holistic equals natural to them. But mm -hmm. holistic is that embodiment of the mind, body and spirit, which is built into into Chinese medicine itself. So let's talk about the millennials and the fertility issues that they're dealing with. Yeah. Um, and when, when, know, we, when we talked the first time, one thing that you had mentioned that really blew my mind and got me thinking was the feminist movement mm -hmm. and how that plays a role. So you want to talk about that and how that plays a role in a woman's cycle? Yes. And so... With the feminist movement, we know that there's various aspects of the movement itself. I mean, it's access to care, it's access to, um, you know, working hours, it might be breastfeeding, changing breastfeeding policies, it might be changing maternity leave policies, it's equal pay, it's, you know, it's so many aspects of the, the universal term of feminist movement. So... What I am particularly actually concerned about is the sections of it where there's such a, it's like, how do you, how should I say this? There's such a push in that we, like women, are equal to man. And, and so we women, we can do everything that a man can do, right? And, and but the missing part was, well, there were other tasks, there were activities that women were traditionally doing, right? It may be the household cleaning, it might be cooking, it might be shopping, it might be taking care of the children and whatnot, right? It just happened to be that that was the divvying up of the tasks in order to run the household while the man or the husband was the one who was working outside of the house predominantly. Well, now you have this feminist movement that says, no, we can go to work, so we wanna work and we wanna get equal pay. We want, we, we want all of what they can do or what, and, and what they're already doing. Right. Well, what happened was that just created a scenario where you just added on roles and tasks. There wasn't a, let's discuss divvying what she was already doing. And so then now we've come and we've set up this culture where it's celebrated amongst women of how much she has been able to take on. And so now it's like, oh, I just love that. It's amazing. Like, how can she do it? She's she's raising her kids. She's she might even be homeschooling. She's going to school herself and she's going to work and she's fighting for this in the community. Like it's celebrated with everything that she has taken on. And then let's just say that she hasn't she doesn't have kids already. Right. Since we're talking about fertility that whole time, it's 
let's I'm going to add on now and then I have these other social pressures like I'm I'm definitely going to move and I'm going to be doing I'm going to be doing x y and z I'm going to make myself um I'm going to fight for these higher positions I'm going to fight for a higher salary and whatnot right meanwhile she like I said she's just adding on and taking on and taking on and taking on and then what happens internally is now we've cultivated this like environment of stress in this environment where it's not really embodying the femininity of who she inherently is. And so if we're, you know, if we refer back to Chinese medicine and you have yin and you have yang, and people would look at the the Taiji symbol, and you'll see that there is the black spot within the white area, and there's the white spot within the black area. That symbolizes that there is feminine within masculine, and there is masculine within feminine. But you see, even then, it's little spots within a larger area, right? But what's happened is many women have taken on this, I'm going to grow my white spot, like the white being the young. So they're growing this masculine side and trying to squash their natural femininity. And so the art of like receiving is a feminine aspect. And yet it's celebrated on how much it is that she gives outwardly. And so it's, you know, building, and I was talking with one of my friends and she, I I see it with her and it's not that she's actively, you know, trying to get pregnant or anything, but I see it with her. It's already setting up. She's focused on the degrees, the certifications, the awards, the, like all of this she's, she's concerned about right now. But when I talk with her and I listen to her about how she's doing health wise, it's not so great. And so, you know, it's one of those where you want to ask, like, what are you doing it for? And and those who might be actively trying to conceive or better yet, they're the ones that are like, well, we we were trying, but not really trying. And then all of a sudden it becomes this point of uh, and nothing's happening. And then then it calls her attention. And then she's like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm 33 or I'm 34, I'm 35. And then unfortunately in the medical community, once you hit 35, you're considered advanced maternal age. So weird. <laughs> but like now she's feeling all these other pressures. And so, but in the meantime, she hasn't really realized that what she's done so far, it, it, it hasn't, it's like breeded this ground where her environment is just not conducive to actually having a baby. And so you're having to work through that and explore all of the different areas to really get her to understand and to say, you know, it's okay that you're not there for everybody, like all all of these people. Like, what story have you written? What stories are you believing in? Like, to be a celebrated woman in the feminist movement is that you are doing so much for everybody else. Like that's what's celebrated. And so like now you're seeing this shift of others that are saying, no, you really do need self-care, <laughs> you know? Well, it was something too, because when I had my children, I was blessed to be a stay-at-home mom. And when I would come across other women and they would say, well, what do you do? And I said, I'm a homemaker. Oh, so even other mm-hmm. women are, you know, are looking down on me because 
as far as they're concerned, what I'm doing is just meager. To me, it was the most important thing that I could be doing was staying home and taking care of my kids. They're my yeah. kids. They're my responsibility. I wanted to raise them the way I wanted to mm-hmm. raise them. I didn't want someone else raising them. I didn't want to go out and just work so I could have more stuff, mm-hmm. which is what a lot of people do. I know single women, they're exempt from what I'm saying as far as this goes. But there's a lot of people out there that they just want more stuff and they want to be able to do more things. So instead of going ahead and tending to their home and their children, as it was done traditionally once upon a time, like you said, they're just going out and they feel like they have to conquer their world. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's funny because like my boyfriend and I had that conversation before and it was prompted from prompted with a conversation I had with somebody else. Like, and, and it was just that it was this, like, you know, if you, if she wants to work, that's fine. Right. And then at the same time within your family unit, it's really opening that conversation as far as divvying up the, what needs to be done. Like, what do you see? How does your family unit operate? Right. And so um, it's like, how does your family operate. So divvying up those roles and like just saying, okay, this is, this is what I ideally want. Like I would love to be able to, you know, walk my kids to school, or I want to be the one to be there and changing their diapers. And I consider that precious moments for me. And it's, it's, it's like, great. That is, that's beautiful. Like go ahead and set up your unit the way that is desirable for you. And and you hit on something perfect, which is very common amongst millennials, is that whole shunning of each other. It's like even built within the feminist movement is shunning and judge, judging other women. It's like, it's like okay, so what, what are we doing? Like, it, I feel like it needs to come from an unconditional love and respect and honor for people and their choices, right? And with millennials, that's where social media really took off. And so... Now it's like, okay, the super moms, you know, the superwoman syndrome and all of that that's going out, which all the common thread is celebrating how much is she doing outwardly and how much is she giving. And then now we're using social media as social proof of I am doing this and I am doing that for other people, you know, like, (laughs) but, and then what happens is like, you now have this breeding ground of competition and like oh my gosh i really want to i really want to do that like now i need to step my game up i hear that a lot i need to step my game up or another phrase i hear is i got to get my life together and i'm like really like how is your life not together now and then and so you know when it comes to like the symptoms that i see with the cycle and um and if those that of the cycle that affect fertility is really a big part of it is actually where is she out of alignment with her true self because she's been so outwardly focused. That makes so much sense. Yeah, it's, it's um, you know, I really hope that we do see a shift in just honoring her and what her decisions are. And then at the same time, just understanding that not everybody is going to be your fan. Not everybody is going to be your follower. Not everybody's going to be your friend. And that is completely okay. Because once you move into, you know, once you move into alignment of who you really are, and then you really enjoy what it is that you're doing, what happens is people are going to fall away. 
And it seems scary at first because that's what you grew accustomed to. But if you continue, then you start to bring in the people that actually will support you and love you in your decisions that you're making now. So do you, a lot of your clients, patients, or do you deal with a lot of millennials? Yeah, they're actually my favorites. <laughs> okay. So is that, 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 is that the biggest part of your practice? Yeah, it is. Really? That is, um, yep, millennials, um, right around in that, that age frame, um, like the late 20s, going into the 30s, into mid-30s, kind of hitting the late 30s to, as well. But um, they are my favorites. And, I mean, I fall in that gap, so maybe it's also easy for me to see um, some of the things that are happening um, but they, it's, and what happens is they all have the common story. They were so worried about school. They were so worried about getting, starting their career. They, um, they finally did get the husband and then now they're like, okay, we've been trying and nothing is happening. And so then you end up with, and it's a mixed bag of, of them coming in saying that they might have a menstrual cycle disorder or condition, and then some that don't even have a diagnosis, but they are struggling with um, getting pregnant or they might get pregnant, but they have um, trouble actually staying pregnant. And so that's where that whole discussion of what's a healthy cycle versus what you accepted as this normally happens for you um, is not really what is a healthy cycle that would be conducive for optimal fertility. So then we end up having to work on those and adjusting, um, watching the cycle as it adjusts to um, the different changes that she's making. And, you know, the thing is, too, is earlier you had mentioned stress. And our society these days is probably more stressed than ever. Mm -hmm. And then especially women with thinking that they've got to be, you know, this superwoman. And stress plays a big part on, on the body. It's very destructive for the body. It is. And, you know, just today I actually saw somebody post, like, pictures of I'm working through the flu. And I, I just wanted to be like, why are we celebrating that? Like, <laughs> like yeah, right. Why there's a reason why you got the flu. Like, so, so, like... And I know it's going to take a huge paradigm shift and of great magnitude. And I'm cool with actually dropping that pebble into this into this piece body of water and letting it ripple out. But like if people, you know, if there are women that are concerned about their fertility, especially with millennials, and you want to talk about stress, right? Sometimes now when it comes to stress, some things are definitely identifiable. And then there's others that you have encountered it or you're in it so much that you don't even mentally, you don't see it as stress. However, your body does see it as stress. And so then what happens is like your body's under this chronic stress state. And what most don't realize is that our nervous system, it falls into like two big branches, two major branches. And so when you're under the chronic state, you're under that sympathetic nervous system action. So your body, that means that your body is like, we're stressed out, we're sensing danger, we're going to shunt all this blood flow to our arms and to our legs, because we need to make this decision real quick if we're going to run or if we're going to stay and fight. And so if the blood flow, all the healthy blood flow and attention is shunted to the arms and the legs, where are your reproductive organs? They're in the middle. Where's your digestive tract? they're in the middle. Where's your urinary system? It's in the middle. Like everything is in the middle. So then if you're constantly stressed, you're not getting great blood flow. 
you're not getting oxygen. You're not getting, like you're not digesting very well at all. And then, but instead you're pumping stress hormones all the time, which can actually increase, right, blood sugar, because why mm-hmm. the blood sugar is needed because it need, it's fast acting. So then now right. your body's like, we need some energy fast. And then it'll start responding that way. But if you stay in that state chronically, now we've set up the stage for inflammation. We set up the stage for PCOS issues, which is pri- it was just predominantly metabolic. Now we set up the stage for endometriosis, inflammatory response. We set up the stage for fibroids, like, right? And then now let's say that the other side, so the other major branch, guess what is under control of that branch, which is parasympathetic, is our reproductive system. So as well as our digestive system, urinary system, like all of it, it's over there. So it's like if you're on the stressor side, your body's like, hey, we ain't worried about digesting properly. We're not worried about even producing a baby at this point because we need to survive. Right. And I think too is with when I was doing my research on stress, one of the things that they were saying is that a pregnant woman is more susceptible to lose her child under stress. Yes, she is. She really is. And it's so important. Like, And I, I think that's why like we many don't realize how many might miscarry before detection. So it's actually before it's detected that she's even pregnant, but she might miscarry. I think stress is involved in that a lot. She may have a troublesome first trimester, and let's say that she's able to get through the first trimester, but she's under a lot of stress. And what is not really taught is that those stress hormones that you're producing actually go through and to the baby as well. Right. Mm-hmm. And so baby's also feeling stressed and they start now they got all these stress hormones pumping and they're like okay now what do i do and then you know now we have a lot of kids that are coming out that are you know i think this is all on a spectrum you know like i just kind of see it all linked together but you know some of the kids they'll come out and they'll say this child has just always been anxious this child has always just been alert and it's like well take a take a look at your um pregnancy Mm-hmm. and see what was going on during that time. And then, you know, they picked up on that. Some of it, there was something like in school, we were talking about this and actually I was just listening to, who was it I was listening to? I was just listening to somebody um, yesterday, yesterday or two days ago. But we learned about this as far as there are certain pulse qualities that might show up on the pulse that um, certain groups, like certain ethnic groups, it, it's they tend to show it. And then what you realize is, depending on just how close they are to, say, immigration for their family, they still like passed along this hypervigilant state. Mm. And so like, so basically then as they had their children, um, their children were pretty much like almost more primed for being in a stressful state than others because they're family was just so accustomed to being in a highly stressful environment. So like if you think about it, it's like places of war or severe drought or food shortages, you know, those type of environments where their family may have been able to escape. But then what they don't realize is that you're actually housing the future generations as you're going through that. And so then it ends up passing down. And that's where that's where I say, you know, 
like with the program and anytime I'm talking with her about fertility, that's why I say that it's the smaller steps that you're taking now that actually have a multi-generational effect. We'll be right back with Joyce Wheeler and It's Your Life. Bring out your heavenly body with heavenly body skincare products. Heavenly Body's products are created to feed and nourish the skin. They formulate their products in small batches for both quality and freshness. Heavenly Body's products are cruelty-free, contain certified organic ingredients, and are cost-effective. To bring out the Heavenly Body in you, visit their website at hborganicskincare.com. We're back with Joyce Wheeler, and it's your life. So let's talk about toxicity and the role that that plays in the millennials and the fertility issues that they're dealing with today. Yeah, so toxins can come in various forms. We automatically might start thinking about, oh, there's the parabens, there's the um, sulfates, there's all these other chemicals that's around us and that we absorb, right? And I find it fascinating because if you actually take a catalog of products that are used, you always see that the number of products by women is significantly more Mm -hmm. than it is for men. Now, like when I say that, think about it. Like it's the cleanser, the toner, the serum, the moisturizer, the sunscreen, the lotion, the soap, the shampoo, the conditioner, the deodorant. deodorant. Yes, it's the deodorant. And it's like, you, you, oh, and then that's not even, that's the prep, right? So for those that are all like out there and into makeup, then you got your concealer, your foundation, your bronzer, your highlighter, your, your blush, eyeliner, mascara. So it's everything. All of these products that we're using for whatever standard of beauty it is that society has uh, put out there and whatever you might oblige by. But when you have those products are constantly on you, they're absorbing through your skin. And so like many don't realize that's one of our ways that we actually detox is through our skin. So just as much as it goes out, there's things that can come in. And so even being mindful of what it is that you're putting on your person because it does enter into your bloodstream. And this also includes um, tampons. Like that's a big thing is tampons. And tampons are used more. I don't know. I haven't seen recent statistics, but I know that tampons were used probably, I think, two to three times more than pads were being used. And then what women are not privy to and more and more are becoming more privy to it but it's the chemicals that are actually still in the tampons and the chemicals that were used to even create the tampons then they don't realize like you insert the tampon the vaginal wall is one of the thinnest like as far as the cell structure goes one of the thinnest and most permeable that we have in our whole body meaning that whatever goes there you absorb it very easily and it goes into our bloodstream very easily Right. Well, that's just like you were talking about the skincare products, uh, anything we put onto our skin. And it's just not 
beauty products, it's cleaners. Mm-hmm. And, and even what we're washing our clothes with, that is going to absorb into our, our bloodstream within 26 seconds. Yes. So now you're talking about the vaginal wall. So, I mean, if that's 26 seconds on the skin, how much faster is it going through the vaginal wall? Uh, less that's, than 26 seconds, and that, that's pretty that, that's darn quick. That's scary. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's scary. Now, what about organic tampons? With the organic ones, you just want to make sure that, because they'll say that they're organic because they're using organic cotton. Right. And so you still actually want to read the box because they may be using organic cotton, but they might still be chlorinating it to clean it. So that is something that you just want to really read the box to understand what their process was in order to prep it. Now, when it comes to tampons, like this is the other thing that I just thought about. When you think about tampons, tampons are inserted to plug up, right? They're supposed to absorb. Now, I'm not a big fan of tampons because the flow, the blood, needs to come out. And so if you're inserting something that seems to be disrupting the natural flow out, some it's, it's like sometimes the uterus has to work harder in actually like, you know, crump, crump, creating these cramping because it's really the muscle, like the muscle contractions to actually get the lining out. And it's like, why actually make it do more work than necessary? So do you feel do you feel that we're hindering that process and and if so what kind of consequences are we dealing with because of it? Um I think we are hindering the process of the blood flow coming out that way. I know that there has been some some theories about this relating to endometriosis especially um because endometriosis is where there's uterine cells outside of the uterus so they're somewhere else within the body. So they could be just outside the uterus. It can be on the in, on the intestines, some even on the lungs. And the like. Now that's one theory. They still haven't finalized like where how is this happening? But so, but for me, if we look at like the mechanism, I feel like if if the muscle of the uterus is contracting to help move these cells out on a monthly basis. But somehow, some way, the blood flow went the opposite direction. So it went up and out the tubes instead of going down out the cervix and the vagina. And so I feel like with so many women using tampons and then the higher incidences of diagnoses of endometriosis, do I feel like there is a correlation? Yes, because you blocked using tampons a way for the cells to come out. And there's still other ways that that are open for blood to leave and for cells to leave. And that's out through the tubes. So I think that is one way as a consequence. Um, I also think that with the tampon usage, the cramping can increase because once again, it's just like if you had a balloon and you put something in that that little area and you're trying to squeeze the air out of it and something's blocking the air to leave. So you're squeezing, you're putting more effort to get the air out. That's like what the uterus is doing. So some, just by switching from not using tampons, end up just having better, they don't have cramps because they're not blocking the blood flow. Um, What about about the cup? The cup itself? Are you you familiar with the cup? Yeah, I'm familiar with it. I personally have not used it. The cup, I know that many who do use it, they love it because it's they're not having to carry pads with them or carry tampons with them. Um, and so they're just 
they were like, okay, I'll just have this cup and I'll empty it out and then I'll replace it back. I think that with the cups, it's useful. I, I don't think that that blocks as much as cotton does because, you know, like just the fabric that's there. Mm-hmm. And so, and plus it's open, like, so liquid can still come right. out, you know what I mean? So I'm not completely right. averse to the cups at all. I know that there's more and more women that are learning about them and realizing how many decades they've been around. <laughs> right. Can you, can you explain exactly what the cup is for a listening audience in case they don't know what it is yeah. and, and how, how it works? Sure. So I'm going to say, let's imagine, let's go back to the balloon, right? So let's imagine that balloon that we blew up. And then right where you tie the knot at, you know how sometimes you can overblow the balloon and then it'll start to be like a narrow neck right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's look at that narrow neck down to where that knot is. That's similar to the shape of a menstrual cup. And so the cup can be made of different material, predominantly silicone. And then they come in varying sizes, meaning like lengths of them. And then the the material that it's made of as well, company to company would vary. But ultimately what it is, is you would fold, there's certain folds that you would make with the cup and you would insert into the vagina and then it actually opens. So it opens up to be just around the cervix itself. And so just like with any cup, it's collecting fluid. So any of the blood flow that comes out with um, the blood, the cells and everything, it'll collect in the cup. With proper placement now, many have to play around with this to find what the placement is for her. Um, And then also the type of cup that she's using. So some might say that they'll try one and they're like, it didn't work for me, but then it might've been the different, it might've been the wrong size and it might've been just the wrong material for her. So a good resource is putacupinit.com. And you can actually like take a little quiz and then really see, okay, based on that, these are the ones that would be rec- like would be recommended for you. And then when you when the cup is about full, then you would just take it out and then you'll dump it, you'll rinse it. Then you'll also just you can keep it clean. Some have like a separate baggie that they'll keep it in until their period starts. This is really great for those that are. I know we're talking about millennials as well, but millennials that travel a lot since remote and nomadism is a big thing. So many women would prefer a cup because then that way she doesn't have to carry around pads and tampon packaging and whatnot. So it's super easy to be able to do that. And you're actually able to keep and reuse the cups for a while. Like I would say though, six months, you might want to go ahead and switch it and get a new one, but you can actually reuse them and you want to just properly clean them. So it's more cost effective too. Yeah, cost effective. And um, the argument too is being safer for the environment versus like all of the plastics that we're dumping. Right. I have not used them. I have heard about them. One of the top, one of the things that some women were concerned about, oh, I was going to say, I also heard you can leave it in a lot longer. I Somebody had wrote a blog post on it that she's gone for eight hours before having to dump it. Yeah. So it, that is going to vary woman to woman. I know some that they have to change it like every three, like dump it every three to four hours. That is going to tell you I'm, I'm trying to see how this is. That's going to tell you, show you too, just the amount of blood flow. So some are just, some have lighter blood flow 
And if you right. are accustomed to using, especially tampons, you're not really aware of how much blood you're actually losing because it's just soaked into this tampon. You can become more aware of how much blood flow there is by using a cup or using pads because then you can really see that. But yeah, like you, some women, the flow is just not that much. And so, yeah, they can go a while without having to dump it. And then, which is okay for that because it's in a cup. But I definitely would not encourage doing that if you're using um, tampon. Like you still want to actually change. So do you see a lot of millennials switching to the cup? They're starting to. Yeah. Really? Yep. They're starting to. And they're, I'm, I, it's funny, like, it's really cool watching, like, the conversations that would be happening because you'll see the ones that have been using it for a while to, that are lending advice and um, saying, like, okay, you want to try this type of fold for insertion and then see if that works and, and all of that. But you're, you're seeing more that are definitely leaning more into using the cups. And what about uh, our environment? How does how is our environment and today's society having an impact on the millennials' fertility? Oh, um, it plays a huge role. Um, <laughs> you are your environment, and mm. once you realize that, then you'll really start to pay attention to what you allow to be in your environment that you'll see is either helpful or not so helpful in your fertility. One of the things when we were talking about toxins and the toxins being in your environment, one of the major ones that we I like to go through is actually your mental emotional toxins. And thought processes can play a huge role in fertility. And it is a part of your environment because these thoughts, they tend to come from experiences. And so whether or not you were aware that certain experiences that you had you still created like a thought to it. And there might be some things that you, it's like, here's a tip, right? Start to try to pay attention to what you're thinking. And it'll, it takes some getting used to because you might be, you're thinking all the time and we're repeating the same thought patterns like ridiculously. A huge number amount of times in a, in a, in a day is a, actually a repeated thought pattern. And so, when you start to become aware of what are these thoughts that you're having, then you can start to actually change what's around you so that your experience is different. And then you start to adopt a different emotional pattern and a different uh, thought pattern that's also attached to it. And that will help your fertility. So when we look at like environment, I say that we're looking at your mind we're looking in the heart, especially with the emotions. And we're looking at your physical environment. So your home, we're looking at work, what type of career are you in? What is, are you really doing what it is that you want to do? And then we're also looking at your family. Um, a lot of times I have, I've seen this happen with almost every case now I think about it, but there's usually always something that comes up related to family that she didn't realize had been a, had a stronghold on her. And then now that it's raised to her consciousness, then she's able to work, work on it and work through it. Another thing is your, just your relationships. So like even with your partner and then your social relationships, they're all a part of your environment. So if you're not in an environment that is conducive to you being who you are and truly being able to express yourself, in the way that you, in the way that you so desire to, 
And I say that because sometimes we keep people around, like we may not, may not drive with a certain, I'm trying to, I want to get a hardcore example of, of something. So your thought patterns as it relates to, say, your health, right? So you're saying that you want to go ahead and start eating more mindfully, yet you still have people around you that are not at that point. Um, then you continue to, so now you're going to continue to hang out with them, right? So you're going to continue to hang out with them. You're going to continue to schedule things with them. And, but what happens is now every time you're hanging out with them, you kind of created a little stressful environment because you may try to squash what you're trying to do about your mindful eating, or you're going to feel stressed because now there's no options in front of you for what it is that you're, that you're trying to accomplish. They may even pick on you. And, and, and actually it'll be something, it might be something subtle. It might be like, oh, girl, you don't need to change that. Or, oh, it's just a little bit. And those are just little, little micro expressions of them not supporting you. And so then now you're feeling conflicted internally. And so that is now your stress hormones are starting to pump because, you know, like I can't even like really be myself in, in that I'm, I'm wanting to eat better and I'm wanting to do this and be more mindful, but I don't feel like I'm supported. Yet you continue to try to be around them. And so that's where you might want to make that decision. Do we need to change activities that you do with them so that it's not focused on that? Or do you want to have a conversation with them and let them know like you could really use their support and just raising their awareness to some of those comments that they might make, which are not conducive for you. And, you know, if they don't, if they're not vibing with the new person that you're becoming, then it may be time to exit that relationship. That's a really good tip as far as like hang, when hanging out with people who really aren't supporting you to only hang out with them when they're doing certain things. Mm -hmm. Like if they're going, you're trying to eat better, you know, okay, we're not going out to eat with you. Right. But we'll go boat, but we'll go bowling with you. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's a really good tip. We're coming up at the top of the hour. Um, I'd like for you to give any closing comments, also talk about the fertility effect. And then if you could give us your website and also you do consultations over the phone, right? Yeah. Yes, I do. <laughs> um, let me see. I'm going to try to do all of it in as close to an order of how you presented it. Um, closing remarks. I will say that as a fellow millennial, <laughs> and to all the other millennials, to really take the time to know thyself. We grew up in a time period of being pushed to do things that were actually made not for our own good. But now we can welcome the opportunity to really move into a space and into a phase that is truly you. And a way to do that is through meditation. And there's different types of meditation, but I will say the most simplest is really just sitting there for five to 10 minutes. And it can be in the morning, it could be before bed, but just sitting quietly and just following the breath, any thoughts that come up, just welcome them and allow them to pass. But really meditation is truly about just coming in and slowing down the breath and just becoming aware of your current and your present moment. And so just being in between in the spaces that's in between those thoughts. And in that time, you will become more clear. It is not something that's quick. I know that we're used to things happening very quickly. So some, some things might take some time, but allow that time to happen 
and growth will come from that. And for those that are really trying uh, trying to expand their family, this is going to be really important because typically what I see is there's so much focus on the outside. And then now that you're wanting to expand your family, you're, you're starting to see that your attention to yourself needs to happen more and that all you're doing is really taking care of yourself, right? Taking care of yourself for yourself first. But you're supporting yourself and being able to be a resource to someone else that's going to be needing you and using your resources in order for it to grow. So taking this time to prepare yourself for that endeavor is really important and really does have a multi-generational impact. You mentioned the fertility effect. The, yes. fer- <laughs> the fertility effect is a um, program that is designed um, literally, it's inspired, the name is inspired by the butterfly effect, where it's small steps and small changes that will have a ripple effect down the line. So that's that multi-generational effect. It is a program that's built to actually prepare you mentally, physically, and emotionally and spiritually to optimize your fertility. And so we walk through so many different aspects of your life and seeing how they play a role. And what's different about this is that actually I teach you how to read and interpret your own cycle patterns. So then that way you're able to see what it is that you actually need based on your cycle pattern. So this is different than I'm going to read this blog and they say use vitamin D or go use ashwagandha or whatever. This is going to be helpful for you to know based on you Like I said, it's all about you, based on you and what it is that you need in order to create that fertile ground for um, that's conducive for a baby. And also it's meant to not just not just for conception, but for a healthy pregnancy, healthy mom and healthy baby. So that's the fertility effect. And if you want more information about that, it's fertilityeffect.com that you can sign up for your listeners. um, Thank you for listening to me. (laughs) And if you're curious about more when it comes to the fertility effect, you are more than welcome to actually take that first lesson for free and just really get in there and see what it's like. And then that way you'll be able to experience it and then make that decision if you want to continue forward from that point. I am, let's see here, on Facebook and Instagram. Sisters of Flow is my podcast. So those are my handles for Instagram and Facebook. It's a holistic period and fertility podcast. So I would love to for you to take a listen to that. And my website, Denicia Hilton, houses everything on it. Also says DeniciaHilton.com. Can for the listeners, can you spell your first and last name, please? Yeah. <laughs> you mean Denicia? <laughs> it's um D as in dog, E N as in Nancy, I. C is in cat, E-A, Hilton, H-I-L-T-O-N.com. Excellent. So what, let me ask you just one thing before we close. What makes the Fertility Effect program different from a client working directly with you? So what's different is that it's actually part self-study. So you'll be, you'll get access to each of the lessons. You must complete each one in order. So there's no skipping around. And you actually are open to attend bi-weekly group sessions. And so that's really where I can make sure that you're understanding what it is that you're learning, not only understanding it, but able to apply it into your life. So even if we need to brainstorm, okay, well, 
according to my cycle type, I need to say I need to incorporate more of these type of vegetables, but I'm not quite sure about these vegetables. Like, how do I eat? How do I prep them? How do I cook them? I don't really like this one. So then it's like it, it gives an open dialogue for us to be able to strategize about how you can actually incorporate into your life what it is that you're doing. Now, another way that's really what's different is that it is you can join in and then you're doing that self-study and then you can jump on the the group calls that are happening bi-weekly. If you were to see me um, one-to-one um, and that's in person or virtually, then we'll, I'm literally working with you like one-to-one, hyper-focused on what I'm seeing as your cycle type and what it is that you need. And I help you help to support that to optimize your fertility uh, in that aspect. So some don't like the group thing. They may not trust themselves that they'll even do the study. <laughs> so they're like, I'm just going to make the appointments to be with you and then we'll go through everything. And then that way I can lay it out for them. So they'll choose to work with me one-to-one on that. Now, one thing that is actually similar is that I am committed to you taking inspired action steps. So you can continue to do research if you would like, but I really wanted to create an environment that you're going to be focused on you and you're taking those inspired action steps. So I help can help you continue to just move along um, in that process. So when you join the Fertility Effect online, you are going to continue to move along um, with your access. It's a limited time. Um, to actually make sure that you're you're committed to doing it and you're going to take those steps forward, which is very similar to when I'm working with you one-to-one. We're actively incorporating what I'm suggesting for you to help you along in your way, because that's where the change is really going to happen, is when you really do take those steps. So now the, the fertility effect is it because you're hit, have an interaction with them, is it like, okay, we're doing this for six weeks after that, then another group comes in? If that is the case, is the course limited to how many people can join at a time? And those are really great questions. So as of right now, um, it's just opening. So I'm you know, going to be observing it, um, what happens and how it grows. But as of right now, it's open year round for you to join in. The way that I will structure, the way I'm structuring the group calls is that Everyone has that invitation to submit their questions ahead of time. So then that can help me be able to guide the conversation. And also for those that may not say may not be able to make it to make the call live, but you still are getting what you needed addressed in in the call. Now, as of right now, I'm not sure about a limit number to those because not everybody will be able to make the live calls. I understand that. So I'm going to gauge and just kind of see what happens. But since everyone is doing a self-study with the material in and of itself, and there is some email support as well, that I feel like we can, I can pretty much manage a, a good number of women that are going through while still being, still being there where you feel like you have somebody to talk to you as you're going through that process. You know, I think it's a great idea too that you actually take the questions because some women might not want to, might want to remain anonymous. Yes. So yes. And that's, that's the great thing about it too, is that they can remain anonymous. Denise, it has been awesome having you on the show today. If you could please, for the listening audience, give your contact information one more time. Yeah. Thank you so much, Joyce. I really appreciate it. And I loved our conversation so much. And 
really am grateful for you allowing me to come into your space and share this with your audience. Um, if you do want to connect with me, primary way is through deniciahilton.com. That's D as in dog, E-N as in Nancy, I-C-E-A, Hilton, H-I-L-T-O-N.com. And you can take a listen to my Sisters of Flow podcast on your podcast listening app, whichever way you choose. And um, any information for the fertility effect is also on the deniciahilton.com website, as well as fertilityeffect.com. For your podcast, what platform can they go to? Is there a website for that? Um, yeah, you can actually go to sistersofflow.com and um, okay. you'll see the link to the episodes right at the top. All right, nice. All right, Denicia, thank you again for joining us. Yeah. It's, it's been a pleasure having you here. Thank you. You've been listening to It's Your Life. I've been your host, Joyce Wheeler. My guest has been Denicia Hilton today, talking about the millennial fertility issues. Thank you for listening. Share, like, and enjoy the rest of your day. This has been a production of Natural Bliss Podcast for a better quality of life.